We're turning tonight in the Word of God to the book of Romans and to the chapter 13. The book of Romans, the 13th chapter, and we'll commence to read at verse 1, read down to verse 7, and then move over to 1 Peter and the chapter 2. Romans 13, and the verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their Jews, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Then turning over in the Word of God to First Peter and the chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 17 there. First Peter second chapter, reading at 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. Amen. We know the Lord Himself will add His blessing onto the reading of His Word tonight. We are taking the topic, terrorism against Israel. How should the Christian think and act? Terrorism against Israel. How should the Christian think and act? And with the Word of God open before us, we'll bow again, please, in a further word of prayer. Gracious Father, wonderful Lord, we praise Thee that we are in Thy presence here tonight. Now, we come not with a, a news sheet before us, but we come with Thy great Word, the inexorable, unchangeable Word of the living God. And if we were to ask ourselves the question, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there such a level of wickedness in the world? Why do men love darkness rather than light? then we know that all of these answers 
are found within the pages of Holy Scripture. And man can go looking and surfing the web and contacting Dr. Google and all of that for answers, but we'll find a whole morass and welter of words out there that generate more heat than light and end in more confusion than they do clarity. But Lord, we thank Thee for Thy holy book. We thank Thee for the Word of God that lives and abides forever. And we pray that as we look into Scripture tonight, as we consult as to what it might say in this world of ours and the events that we have unfolded around us, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and grace to practice what we discover in Jesus' name and for God's eternal and great glory, we pray. Amen. On Saturday, the 7th of October, 2023, I happened to be driving through Scotland, and the intention was to preach in Gardenstown the next day. Tommy Gilmore, as you know, was traveling with me, and he began to notice on his phone news bulletins coming through that alerted us to the fact that something terrible was happening in Israel. And as that day developed, grisly detail upon grisly detail began to pile up. And the story emerged, how that at 6.30 in the morning of that day, Erdied sirens began sounding in Jerusalem, warning the citizens there of an attack that was in progress and telling them to immediately run for cover. An estimated 2,200 rockets were fired towards southern and central Israel, and that brought in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem as well, and many other cities, sent in by the Hamas terrorists. Thousands then of Hamas fighters. Many on motorcycles, they breached the border security fences at numerous points, stormed those blockaded areas of the Gaza Strip, some of them came along onto the beach through motorboats. Some brought death from the sky, swooping in on paragliders. And as we know only too well now, they shot the Jewish settlers, they attacked them in their homes. When they went for refuge into the safe rooms, they smoked them and firebombed them out and slaughtered all of those people that they could get in the kibbutzim and in the small towns. And we have that video footage that came from the Hamas militants themselves, how they took many Israeli citizens hostage, including mothers and children, and some of the elderly we saw going out on little golf buggies and through over the border, through the fence, and right into the territory of Gaza from which these terrorists had come. It later emerged that more than 1,400 people were killed in Israel because of these assaults. And again, including children, we have seen, I'm sure by now, pictures of their bullet-ridden and scarred and scorched bodies. Another 3,400 people had been injured. Then approximately between 200, maybe 250 hostages were taken by Hamas or Islamic Jihad, and it's believed, of course, that they are now being held in Gaza. Within hours, of those attacks on Saturday. The photos and the videos were circulating all over the media. Mass murder of Israeli civilians, by and large. People killed in their cars. Lying dead on the ground, slaughtered at a bus stop. Young people, children, all taken away. And those horrific videos that appeared online showed Hamas gloating about how they were defiling the bodies of women, how they'd murdered families, 
how they'd taken children hostage. And if nothing else was abundantly clear, this was clear, that violence was by no means some desperate act of self-defense, nor was it a breaking loose from prison. And some of the sympathizers have tried to suggest that ever since. Israel has since responded with a barrage of airstrikes that have torn up the Gaza Strip. 100,000 and more have been displaced. Israel has warned one million Palestinians, move down south to a safer part of the territory, get into southern Gaza, or you'll be facing the combined activities of 400,000 Israeli soldiers, and these men are prepped to annihilate the units of Hamas, and we believe many of them are hiding in miles-long networks of tunnels that are being dug right underneath those residential neighborhoods. A good question, I guess, is, although I'm sure we all know the answer, what is Hamas? It's a Palestinian militant group, an amalgam of terrorists. They've ruled the Gaza Strip since 2007, came originally from the Islamic Brotherhood, an Egyptian-based organization. They have bound themselves to destroy Israel, and they want to replace it with an Islamic state. And so several wars have been fought against Israel since Hamas has taken power. It has fired, or it has allowed other Islamic groups like Islamic Jihad to fire thousands upon thousands of rockets at Israel, and they've carried out many deadly strikes. In response, Israel has come in, meeting force with force, sent troops into Gaza during two of the wars, and together with Egypt, not just Israel, but together with Egypt, they have blockaded that Gaza Strip since 2007 for security reasons. But now with the eyes of the world firmly fixed upon this narrow strip of land, Gaza, and with them watching every move that Israel is making in response to all of this horrendous barbarity, well, what should we as Christians be thinking? And how should we as Christians be acting? Looking at the subject tonight under three main heads, and the first one is that of propaganda. Propaganda. Christians are people of truth. We serve, as we know, the God of truth, John 3 and 33, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. We find this God, His Word that He has given us is truth. He styles it exactly as that Himself in John 17 and 17, Thy Word is truth. And again, in Psalm 119, verse 160, Thy Word is true from the beginning. Our Savior, whom we love and serve, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is truth incarnate, precisely as he described himself in John 14 and the verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, because we are to be the people of truth, then we need to be very careful not to be deceived by lies or to deal in or traffic in the spreading of untruths. Propaganda has always been a part of warfare. And in the day in which we live where there's much AI, artificial intelligence, and plenty of social media, then the ability to create propaganda and spread it to a wide audience, that exceeds anything that any generation has ever known on the lead up to our generation. For many years, I have discouraged people from trusting, well, what some people call old media or others call legacy medium, BBC included, of course, because these companies, they sell news, and they all have agendas that influence what they report and how they report it. 
And we need to remember the warning of Proverbs, chapter 18, the verse 13 and the verse 17, he that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. And what we're saying here in warning against the propaganda that is out there today is recognize where the fallacy is. It's remarkable already that the news about Israel's reactions and activities is now dominating the narrative in such a way that those gruesome events of Saturday, the 7th of October, those events are being submerged, if not obliterated and wiped, from the public consciousness. Palestinian protests, protesters appearing on television, commenting, being interviewed by the media, people running through the streets having their parades and all of that. In many parts of the world, they're acting as if Hamas had done nothing wrong at all. And if we look at examples of propaganda, well, the most recent one, we'll look at that first because it's on the news last night and again tonight. And we know there's been claim, there's been counterclaim about it. And I'm referring, of course, to the attack on the Al-Ali Baptist Hospital in the Gaza Strip happened Tuesday, yesterday, 17th of October, and immediately Hamas and most Arab nations, they blamed Israel for that explosion. Hamas said it has killed 500 people. But then we had an Israeli Defense Forces spokesman, Rear Admiral Daniel Hagarai, and he said the Israeli military did not strike that hospital that the facility, he argues, was rather hit by a field rocket that the Islamic Jihad terror organization had launched from its own territory. It is clear, this rear admiral said, that the IDF did not strike the hospital in Gaza, and he gave all kinds of reasons why he believed that to be the case. They had tracked the rockets just before 7 o'clock their local time, tracked on their reader systems, knew they came out of a cemetery nearby. They had, he claimed, and they have shown that evidence of communication between militants. One thing to deviate, and I'm thinking it's just such a pity that that kind of knowledge did not prevent the attack in the first place on the 7th of October. But he confirmed that there was no IDF fire by land, sea, or air that had inadvertently hit the hospital. They traced the trajectory of the rockets, and then, of course, these militants communicating one to the other were talking about how the rocket that they had sent had actually misfired. Now, that didn't hold back not just Hamas, but the World Health Organization, who immediately jumped on the bandwagon as they do and rebuked Israel. Not only that, but Reverend Richard Sewell, Dean of St. George's College, one of the church's top figures in Jerusalem, an Anglican, and he posted on X, which used to be called Twitter, he posted there that the hospital in Gaza took a direct hit from an Israeli missile. Just after 8 o'clock last night, the BBC's international editor, Jeremy Bowen, said that he'd got a call, phone call, from one of the Israeli Defense Forces office, and in their statement they were saying, a hospital is a highly sensitive building and is not an IDF target. The IDF is investigating the source of the explosion and, as always, is prioritizing accuracy and reliability. We urge everyone to proceed with caution when reporting unverified claims of a terrorist organization. 
That propaganda, Israel did it. That was a message going out. And it went out for at least six hours, and it's still going out today in certain circles. It resulted in overnight attacks on an office in Beirut, a Molotov cocktail attack on a Berlin synagogue early this morning, a whole variety of other anti-Semitic incidents. You'll have heard of the three killed in Queen Elizabeth's National Park, Ugandan, two honeymooners out of those three from England. And the usual barrage of rockets has entered Israel again today. Now, let's talk about another item of propaganda that's happening around us. The BBC apparently refuses to use the word terrorism to describe what happened on the 7th of October. They even went to this length of pulling in one of its senior journalists, John Simpson, to get him to write a piece explaining why what Hamas did, they would not be using the term terrorism to describe it. Sammy Morrison from our Dromore congregation pointed out, language matters when it comes to dealing with such issues. This was something he said recognized by a former BBC employee, George Orwell, who in his dystopian novel, 1984, describes how a new language is introduced, designed to diminish the range of thought. Tellingly, the former BBC man calls this new language Newspeak. It's characterized by the elimination or alteration of certain words, the substitution of one word for another, and the creation of words for political purposes. Orwell, he suggests, would have recognized the practice of removing the word terrorist and replacing it with gunman or militant, or describing someone who burns families in their cars as they seek to flee murderers as a militant. The BBC all the while is disregarding the fact that in law, Hamas is defined as a terrorist group. And when it comes to the, to the usage of the word terrorist or terrorism, then the BBC itself is wretchedly inconsistent. Immediately after that shooting in Brussels on Monday night, the BBC website ran this headline, Suspect at large after two Swedes killed in terror attack. The word that they won't use about Hamas. The question is, is it only Israeli Jews who cannot possibly be subjected to terrorism? Happens to somebody else, it is terror, but not when it happens to them. What game is it playing here? It's a dangerous one. Not only should we recognize this propaganda, remember the history, remember the history. That terror attack on the 7th of October didn't just spring out of a vacuum. Numerous commentators, some among the people of God, have traced the roots of this back as far as 1948, and they get stuck there. That's the time when the Jewish state of Israel was formed. And listening to them, you could be forgiven for believing that Muslims and Jews just got along really fine up until the formation of the state of Israel in that year, 1948. And that kind of narrative tries to blame Israel for Islamic anti-Semitism. Now, if that's the line you're going down, that is naivety at best. But I suggest it's worse than that. In reality, 
Islamic anti-Semitism, such as we saw parading itself in the garments of violence and murder on Saturday the 7th of October, it goes right back to the Quran, to the life of Muhammad. You can go further right back into the older days of the, New Test of the Old Testament era. And it is worth looking back and quoting a selection of the very many anti-Semitic verses that you have in the Quran. And I'll give you some examples. In 582, you will surely find the most intense of the people in animosity toward the believers to be the Jews and those who associate others with Allah. 9.30, the Jews say Ezra is the son of Allah, and the Christians say the Messiah is the son of Allah. That is their statement from their mouths. They imitate the saying of those who disbelieved before them. May Allah destroy them. How are they deluded? Then in 62.6, say, O oh, you who are Jews, if you claim that you were allies of Allah, excluding the other people, then wish for death if you should be truthful. It's vital that we know the history and the jump away forward in time over swathes of history, because we can't give it all tonight. Let's just highlight the Nazi connection in here. Back in 1921, Herbert Samuel, British High Commissioner of the country of Palestine, appointed Hajj Amin al-Husseini to be the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. And that would prove to be a most horrendous appointment. Husseini would spend his life stirring up violence against the Jews of Palestine, promoting a reading of the Quran that was genocidally anti-Semitic. He became the undisputed leader of the Palestinian National Movement and his main ally on the historical stage became Nazi Germany. The British eventually had enough of him, stripped him of his position. He fled to Lebanon, then to Iraq, and in Baghdad, Iraq, he started a pro-Axis revolt and instigated a pogrom against Jews. In January of 1941, he wrote his first letter to Hitler. Later the same year, he traveled to meet Hitler, and he met with him there, and he's looking for help to eliminate the Jews of the Arab world. Hitler agreed, and on that basis, they formed an alliance. He then is spreading Nazi propaganda to the Arab world. And the central theme of those efforts is found in Husseini's repeated exhortation to kill the Jews wherever you find them. And at the same time, what he did when he found a moderate Arab, he was saying, this is extreme. We shouldn't, as good Muslims, be going down this path. He silenced those people, often by having them assassinated. And Yasser Arafat, who came after him, succeeded him, did exactly the same thing. And so they ensured there will be no compromise with the Zionists, as they termed them. When Arafat moved to Palestine after the Oslo Accords, he took control of the content that was going out in the Friday sermons at the Al-Aska Mosque. Yes, you hear much of that in the news. And those sermons became really extreme, particularly around and beyond the Second Intifada in 2000. In one sermon, the preacher instructed his listeners, have no mercy on the Jews, no matter where they are, in any country. Fight them wherever you are. Wherever you meet them, kill them. 
We need as well to reject the kind of ideology that is coming through here. This legacy from this Nazi-style ideology, the historian Jeffrey Herf called it a tradition of absolute and uncompromising rejection of Zionism and later of the state of Israel. And you don't have to look too far. Check it out on the internet. You can find it there. To see how over the years the Palestinians in their militant branches have adopted Nazi symbols and also sport their salutes. And that's them just emphasizing we hate Jews. Look how we hate them. On the 29th of June, 2021, a Palestinian child attending a Palestinian Islamic Jihad military training camp, that's their version of summer school, on the Gaza Strip, he was interviewed for their television station and to the Jews. That child said, we asked Hitler why he left some of you alive. He did it to show how wicked you are. We will come for you from under the ground to spread terror in your hearts, and above the ground we will mangle your bodies with our rockets. Go run to your shelters, you mice, you sons of Jewish women. Now let's update that by only a couple of years to yesterday. 17th of October, 2023. And we have on Al Jazeera Live an ultimatum delivered by Iran's Minister of Foreign Affairs. And he says, there is an opportunity for Israel to make amends in the coming hours. If not, the resistance will enhance its strategies and change the map of the region. Did you know that a faculty member history teacher in Cornell University in America, Russell Rickford, described Hamas's brutal assault on Israel as exhilarating and energizing. Now, if we were living in a moral society, whatever that might be, it would have no problem rising up, condemning these desires and these declarations, and these acts of violence, identifying them for what they are. But we are living in Northern Ireland, and we are living in a society that has appeased terrorists for so long that these same acts of barbarity have become normalized, justified. And so in the last week, it's not been a surprise to see Republicans from all walks of life justify the actions of Hamas, members of Sinn Féin, those from people before prophet, just pull themselves away from the truth of events, just as Sinn Féin has done and does from all of the atrocities carried out by the IRA because they have twisted it all around. The propaganda from them is this. The perpetrators are the victims, and the victims are the perpetrators. And we have been subjected to their angry marches. We have seen Republican schools participate in pro-Palestinian rallies where children, and they're meant to be the the peace babies are reciting the words of an IRA terrorist in jubilation at what is happening to the Jews. We have them parading inside the Kennedy Center. And from all parts, we hear the mantra being cried from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Do you know what that is? That's nothing but a common call to arms for pro-Palestinian activists. It calls for this establishment of the state of Palestine from the Jordan River out to the Mediterranean Sea, erasing the state of Israel on the way and exterminating its people. 
That's what that cry from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free, is all about. And those who have grown up during the IRA's murder campaign and watched the images on our television screens of bodies lying dumped on roadsides with signs of torture, riddled with bullets, of bombs exploding on the streets of our towns and cities, of our emergency services shoveling body parts into plastic bags. Those who have seen that, families who have been on the receiving end of that, will be able to relate to the people of Israel as they face the same kind of violence. Who can forget? And I remember it was a day that I was sent out of hospital after lying there for three weeks. Those images of Corporal Woods and Corporal Howes being dragged from a car by IRA members and sympathizers, being stripped and beaten and shot, all because they were British in the wrong place at the wrong time, the same plight that fell upon many in Israel last week. The same ideology is being celebrated. Hamas equals ISIS equals IRA, and it's to our shame that the next generation, our future in this country, is being brought up in a society where terrorism is normalized and celebrated and morals have been left far behind. That's always what happens when the appeasement of terrorists takes precedence over every aspect of life. And when normal, upright people are pushed onto the margins as though they don't count and their voice should not be heard. Recall the priority. In our zeal to be relevant, and I'm sure we have that kind of zeal pushing us on, to be relevant, even helpful, please do not forward images or articles or information from sources that you cannot verify as being trustworthy. And recognize that even sources that very often are very trustworthy can be duped on occasions. Truth be told, it's a wise move to limit your consumption of all media, especially social media. It can become addictive to the point of contributing to serious anxiety and stress. Instead, Make it a goal to spend as much time reading and meditating upon God's holy word as you would consuming news from the media. In other words, what we're saying is don't become a propaganda victim because that's the name of the game with these terrorists. Change the minds of the people by bombarding them with false information, propaganda. From propaganda, we move to punishment. Punishment. What does Hamas stand for? The covenant of the Islamic resistance movement, they issued back on the 18th of August, 1988. That covenant, Hamas's covenant, is a comprehensive manifesto. It contains 36 separate articles, all of which, promote the one basic Hamas goal of destroying the state of Israel through jihad, Islamic holy war. So the goal of Hamas in their covenant is revealed as our allegiance is to Allah, and whose way of life is Islam, it strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. In other words, there won't be a single solitary inch for a Jew to stand on if we get our way. That's how it is. And just in case we didn't get that, then in the preamble to that covenant, speaking to the destruction of Israel again, Israel will exist, they say, and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it. 
just as it obliterated others before it. And people, well-meaning people, say, well, why not just agree to disagree? Why not just agree on you have your bit of the country and we have ours? You know, a two-state solution that has had politicians of every stripe scrambling for decades. Let's agree to that. Do you know that Hamas want nothing to do with that? They utterly reject a negotiated peace settlement. They say peace initiatives and so-called peaceful solutions and international conferences are in contradiction to the principles of the Islamic resistance movement. Those conferences, they say, are no more than a means to appoint the infidels as arbitrators in the lands of Islam there is no solution to the Palestinian problem except by jihad. That's war. That's violence. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are but a waste of time, an exercise in futility. That's in their covenant, article number 13. They don't want peace. And then in terms of anti-Semitic content, Running all through it, but in Article 7, the day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight Jews and kill them. Then the Jews will hide behind rocks and trees, and the rocks and trees will cry out, O Muslim, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. That's their covenant, Article number 7. And on the 7th of October, in particular, those young people that were running away from the music festival, hiding in groves, taking shelter behind rocks. They were sought out by those terrorists and murdered in cold blood. But they were only fulfilling the terms of their covenant, doing what they have pledged they're going to do. That's how ridiculous and ruinous it is. But the aim, in terms of the response coming in from Israel, Israel has responded in the way that any civilized nation protecting its people would want to respond and would need to respond. By stating, well, we have a determination if you're going to be bent on spilling our blood we are going to kill the Hamas operatives. It also wants, of course, to rescue the hostages that were seized whenever Hamas attacked Israel. Zakai Hanagbai, National Security Advisor in Israel, pledged that they would find every person involved in the Hamas attacks. We will kill them even if he's going to hide in shelter or underground tunnel, each of these people will not be able to maintain life in the Gaza Strip as they did in the last few years. Of course, there are major challenges. Close quarter fighting, heavily populated urban areas. Great danger for the Palestinian people in that and especially great, when they're being used, and we know this has happened, time without number, as human shields. And the Hamas operative will take shelter behind them, they'll be killed, and if his life can be spared, then so be it. They have over 300 miles, at least, of underground tunnels. Asked about a bombing at the Rafah border with Egypt, the Israel Defense Forces spokesperson, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Richard Hetch, said on Tuesday, when we see Hamas targets moving, we will take care of it. But while they're taking care of it, the world is up in arms. It isn't fair. You're acting without warrant. What are you doing, Israel? Have they any authority for doing what they do? Well, when I look in the Holy Scriptures, I find the Bible grants jurisdictional authority to deal with evil. 
the Lord has instituted three layers or levels here. The home, Proverbs 22 and 15, the road of correction has been given, primarily husbands, fathers, for the welfare of the family. In the church, our Lord has delegated that authority to the members, specifically the elders, for the welfare of the congregation. Matthew 16, 13 to 19, Matthew 18, 15 to 20, the most extreme use of this is excommunication. But not only the home, the church, in the state, the Bible has a word to that, in the nation, in government. And Christ delegates His authority to civil officials for the welfare of the citizens. And He's given them what is called in Romans 13, the sword. Romans 13, 1 to 7, we read it tonight, as we also read 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, and that's to help the state administer its authority in the nation. The most extreme use of that is capital punishment and war. Those passages, I think we saw very clearly tonight, to be commanding this. The state is equipped to deal with the issues of terrorism. Not only does the Bible grant this authority to deal with evil, but war is the province of the state. Now, the majority of people in the Church of Christ down through the ages have believed the Bible teaches it is correct to conduct just wars. In our own church confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 23, dealing with the civil magistrate, section 1 and 2, here's the authority that Jesus Christ has given to the state. Here's how he emphasizes the legitimacy of war. Point number one, God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good, and to this end he hath armed them with the power of the sword, for the defense and encouragement of them that are good, and for the punishment of evildoers. And then in section 2 of that Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 23, we have these words, it is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto, in the managing thereof, as they ought especially to maintain piety, justice, and peace according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth, so for that end they may lawfully now, under the New Testament, wage war upon just and necessary occasion. And if you were to open the Westminster larger catechism, go down to the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And the relevant questions, 135 and 136. What are the duties required in the sixth commandment? The duties required in the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by just defense thereof against violence. And then the next question, 136, what are the sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? The sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment are all taking away the life of ourselves or of others, except in case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. So in the Bible, we do acknowledge the correctness of just war. But for a war to be legitimate, it has to be waged justly. When the confession here talks about waging war upon just and necessary occasion, when the catechism talks about lawful war and just defense against violence, they're bringing up this whole concept of a just war theory. And we've been debating that ever since the time of, well, at least the time of Augustine. In his famous book, The City of God, chapter 9 and part 7, he encourages Christians to balance out the legitimacy of any war by three criteria, and they have been debated and expanded and refined right down through the centuries. But 
you'll still largely recognize them. Three reasons behind a just war. Is there a legitimate authority behind the declaration of war? Is there a just cause for the war? Is it to avenge wrongs or to restore what has been illegitimately taken? Is there, thirdly, a just intent? The motive cannot be hatred or simple desire to dominate a people. Will the war promote the greater good? Will it promote peace? Will it reduce evil? And based upon those three points, regarding a just war being waged justly, then Israel's declaration of war on Hamas is just. The evil unleashed by those terrorists in the name of an organization that has this purpose for its existence, that Israel shouldn't have an existence, that kind of ideology, those who unleash that terrorism, deserve by lawful means to be destroyed. Then we come to abomination. All through these terrorists from Islam... We hear the cry, Alihu Akbar, God is greatest. Then they're slaughtering people in cold blood. How is shooting up babies with a modern automatic weapon or blowing up and burning children or doing to the ladies what they've done? How is that glorying to God? How does it glorify Him? invoking God's name through these orgies of immorality and violence? Here's what God thinks. He's written it in His Word, Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto Him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Israel's response may be judgment, but it's hardly judgment without mercy. I know people will dispute this, but corridors of escape have been marked out and opened up. Many ordinary citizens, and we feel for them, who have been crushed, who were cursed by having Hamas as their leaders. They've been exhorted to flee. Israel has said, I heard again acknowledged today, that they will allow limited humanitarian aid into southern Gaza, not to benefit Hamas, but the regular populace. There will be judgment, but there is clearly mercy being shown as well. Propaganda, punishment, finally precautions. And I'm going to think, thank Tom Askell here of Founders Ministries for many of the points raised in this section. What about a solution to all of this? There only is one solution, and this solution is for Jew and Gentile, Muslim and Zionist, as they term them. What Hamas needs is Jesus Christ. The gospel is the only answer. The only hope for the world is our crucified, now risen Savior. And that's why Paul said in Romans 1 and 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You and I will have opportunities to speak for Christ as this war continues. Don't miss them. Pray for boldness. Pray for wisdom to make the gospel known. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes, empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. 
On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end, broken dreams. He's the open door. People need the Lord. When will we realize that people need the Lord? And that's those Palestinians fleeing down to the south of the Gaza Strip. And those Israelis in Ashkelon and Tel Aviv and other places taking cover from rocket attacks. To the Jew and to the Gentile, they need Christ. Solution. Speech. To speak or not to speak. That's the thing. Don't feel obligated to make public judgments about every public event. We don't have to have an opinion on everything, and I know that's rich, very rich coming from me tonight, having spoken as much as I have. But remember David's prayer, and let it be our own. Psalm 131, verse 1, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Lord, there are times when my voice does not count, because ultimately it's God's voice that is the one that counts. Solution, speech, Scripture. Think biblically about Israel. Now, the caution is this. Faithful Bible-believing Christians disagree. Shock, horror as to what the Bible teaches about modern Israel. Questions that divide will include, are any or all of the Old Testament promises given to Israel already fulfilled? What is the difference between Israel as a nation-state and Israel as a people? What does it mean to be a Jew inwardly, for the Bible talks about that? Are Christians, the church, the true Israel today? What is the Bible promise about the future of Israel? And are those promises in the Bible for the nation of Israel, or ethnic Israel, are promises for the church? And I say good, faithful Christians disagree on how to answer those questions and other related questions. Now, I know they can run their conferences and their weeks of meetings, and people will flock to them. And let's be honest, at the end of most of them, be more confused than they were at the beginning. What we need to carefully avoid is this, allowing the headlines generated by activities on the earth driving our understanding of what the Bible teaches about the end times, and then coming along and squeezing things and shoehorning things to fit our particular ideas, because the books written today The articles written today, the podcasts engaged in today, the sermons preached today, including some of those that I've listened to this week that are giving details, and I have not. They're giving details about how these current events fulfill this Bible prophecy and that specific Bible verse about the end times. Do you know what? All of that stuff will be obsolete in two years if the Lord tarries. And the books will have to be binned and new books written with different interpretations and information. And if you doubt that, check out those blockbuster books that came out immediately after 9-11 in America. Scenarios. Prepare for possible future events. Some of them aren't even future. They're already happening. 45-year-old man named in the Belgian media as Abdusalam killed two Swedish nationals going to a football match in the capital, Belgium, Brussels, on Monday evening. Caused the cancellation to have time of that football match. Who was he? The terrorist? The murderer? A Tunisian man who was in Belgium illegally. His asylum application was rejected in 2020. And then in France on Tuesday of last week, an anti-terror prosecutor said that a man who 
fatally stabbed a teacher at a school in the northern city of Arras, famous for the big battle in World War I. He had declared allegiance to ISIS before that murderous attack. Witnesses said he shouted, Allahu Akbar, God is greatest, during his attack. And though I don't agree with everything that he does or says, I am glad that President of France, Emmanuel Macron, condemned what he called the barbarity of Islamist terrorism. Have you heard of certain politicians over the years warning about sleeper cells? In Europe, in the United Kingdom, in the United States, they'll be waiting on orders, as the 9-11 terrorists were, to carry out attacks against the Western infidels. Now, we can't allow that to dampen our love for strangers. It's naive if we think these cells do not exist. And with the influx of illegal immigrants in our country sent by Erdogan, check out what he said, the president of Turkey, a number of years ago. I'm going to send them from Syria, and he did. And Poland said, well, you're not sending them to us, and they closed their borders. And Hungary says, you're not sending them to us. And Slovakia says, they're not coming here. And Germany says, send them all. And he flooded Germany. And they flooded France. And they've come over to the United Kingdom as well. And they're here in our country. We need to prepare spiritually and emotionally by remembering the truths of God's Word and thinking often about our reigning, ruling, sovereign Lord Jesus Christ. Meditate on Psalm 2 and remember Him while our hearts may quake with fear, our God who was in the heavens, He looks down at the plans of wicked men, and He says, I'll show that I am in control. Settle. Ground yourself in the body of believers that make up your local church. For some people, that'll simply mean just Keep going in the path of faithfulness you've been walking on for many years. But others who turn up to church when it suits them, I'm not talking about people who are ill and can't be out. Of course I'm not. But others who have a laissez-faire view about attending church, maybe Sunday morning only, or those who in society think they're Christians but will not attend any church because they're better than that, it means repenting of that spiritual apathy. Find a healthy church. Build your life around it is really good advice. And the final precaution is that of supplicate, and it's last, but it's definitely not least. It's the most important counsel of all. Pray. Our God rules and reigns in this world. Despite what happened in Israel, what is happening in Gaza, sad loss of life everywhere. And He encourages us, commanded us, in fact, to pray. And those are beautiful expressions we have in what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Pray that justice and mercy would prevail in the war. Pray for Jewish and Palestinian brothers and sisters who are directly affected by it. Pray that in their suffering, Christ will be honored, that the gospel will advance. Pray for those in authority, that they will do the right thing. And remember, as you pray, Proverbs 21 and 1 the Lord does have their hearts in His hands. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever He will. What is happening in the Middle East is tragic. Every innocent life that is lost is a tragedy, be it a Jew, be it a Palestinian. Every innocent life. Let that be a call to us to humble ourselves before the Lord in fresh repentance and with renewed faith. Seek the Lord and His glory and His kingdom with extra zeal.
Let us pray that grace may everywhere abound, send the light. And a Christ-like spirit everywhere be found, send the light. Let us not grow weary in the work of love, send the light. Let us gather jewels for a crown above. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine forevermore. That's a conquest that we want to see. Not a conquest of brutality and persecution and violence, but of gospel preaching, turning hearts to Christ and letting the blessed gospel light shine from shore to shore. We have a few moments left in which we can pray and do pray for our world today. Pray for the nation of Israel that finds itself penned in, threatened by Hamas and by Hezbollah, by Iran, and by so many others. Pray the Lord will rise up and His will will be done. And pray that we will recognize we have only limited time left ourselves. And we need to use that time. We need to use it for Jesus' glory. I'm going to ask Hugh if he'll lead us in prayer, please. Thank you.